I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. The time is coming when we will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So this text, as this whole book, is written to preachers. It's written to a preacher. Particularly in this section, Paul is talking about the work of a preacher. What is a pastor supposed to occupy himself? What is he supposed to do? And as has been the case throughout the book, it's somewhat challenging as I preach this because I can think of all sorts of ways to apply this to myself, but I don't think preach the word is an encouragement that most of you actually need to hear. And that is not the calling that God has given most of the people in this room. It's the calling that God's given a few of us, and certainly those of us who have been called to do that task ought to faithfully apply this. But as a church... How do we apply an admonition to preach the word? I think there's several ways. Well, certainly those of us who have that calling ought to apply it there. But as a church, as a congregationally governed church, there are going to be points in time where this church is looking for and evaluating those who desire the office of bishop, as 1 Timothy chapter 3 says. There's going to be times when this church has the responsibility to consider those who are aspiring to the office of elder, even those who are aspiring to the office of a primary preaching pastor in the church. That time is going to be present throughout the life of churches, whether in this church or other churches. On the flip side, there are many of us who we do not know what the future may hold. We don't know when a job might move us to a different location. We don't know what's going to happen in the future, so we should not presume that there will never be a time when we're looking for a church to attend. And so, for a congregation, it is equally as important for us to understand the office of the pastor, the office, the action of preaching. It's just as important for a congregation to understand it as a pastor to understand it. Maybe the application is more immediate for those in preaching roles, but the application is significant for everyone. So, if God's providence one day puts you in a place when you are looking for a church or you are looking for a pastor, what are you going to look for? What makes a good pastor? 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 2 both give lists of qualifications for pastors. But it's interesting that First and Second Timothy and Titus, all three books, are written to pastors and really expand. Now, First Timothy 3 is a nice handy little list. This, 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 and this, which we like lists because it gives us some really clear guidance. But the whole package is also important. The qualifications of a pastor exceed just those things in a list. In the book of Second Timothy, the pastor does several things, but the whole book focuses really on one primary role of the pastor. He is responsible for teaching and preaching the word of God. Timothy in chapter 1 is told to guard the deposit that is entrusted to him. That action, 
Guarding the gospel isn't something he does when he's sitting in his office. The action of guarding the gospel is a work of proclamation in the church. It's a work of telling the church, church, this is what we have been entrusted with. This is the fence around it. This is what we stand for. And so this is what you need to understand. So that work of guarding the deposit is a work of preaching and teaching discipleship. He's told in chapter 2, and trust to faithful men. The idea that the deposit is given to him, now he must find others who will guard the deposit. Again, teaching, preaching, discipleship. The work of proclaiming God's word. In chapter 3, he's supposed to oppose the ungodly. In some places, that is done by avoiding them, but also included in that, I think, is the idea that he should be proclaiming truth so that the church is able to avoid them. And here, and perhaps the most explicit section of Scripture about the work of the pastor in preaching, the command is clear. Preach the word. So if you are looking for a pastor, you are looking for a church, if you are looking for elders, if I am looking at myself and my labor, what makes good preaching? What is a good sermon? Certainly there are all sorts of stylistic factors. I remember one time we had a visiting missionary at my church when I was growing up, and he preached the entire sermon like this. It was really confusing. I didn't understand why. And the entire sermon he faced this way and looked over his shoulder and preached. It was distracting, wasn't it? I don't remember the sermon. I don't remember anything about the sermon. I don't know where the guy was a missionary to. I don't remember if he had a slideshow, if I liked the pretty pictures. All I remember is sometime when I was 11 or 12 years old, this guy preached a whole sermon looking over his shoulder. Is that the measure of good and bad preaching? Is it the posture of the preacher? There's different postures, different preachers. There's a whole website online called John Piper Gifts where John Piper just does this as he's preaching. He's all over the place. And so they make little videos and you can send them to people and it's fun and all. Is that what makes someone a good preacher? Is, is it the hand gestures? Is it whether they stand in front of the pulpit or behind the pulpit? I spent some time working in a not super healthy environment that really encouraged loud, boisterous preaching. If you made a hole in the platform by stomping your feet, that was a badge of a good sermon, that sort of stuff. Is that what makes good preaching? Is it all about illustrations? We all know that's what you remember from a sermon. Is that what makes a good sermon? Some of you might think the real mark of a good sermon is how long it is. Right? If it's 20 minutes, it's a great sermon. If it's 40 minutes, it's a mediocre sermon. If it's 60 minutes, it's a terrible sermon. Is that the measure of good preaching? Is it passion? Is it persuasiveness? Is it how good of a speaker the preacher is? His skill in rhetoric. Maybe it's his skill in alliteration. Are all the points starting with the same letter? Well, then it must be a good sermon if all the points start with the letter P, especially. Is good preaching preaching that's relevant? Preaching that I walk out and say, oh, this changes my life today. Or is it preaching that makes me feel good? Where I can leave and I feel inspired. I think it's interesting, oftentimes when you look at music genres, Christian music, when they don't want to call it Christian, they refer to it as inspirational. Is that what we're looking for in preaching? All of these things are of various importance. I don't think any of them should be ignored. 
think I should be wise in how long I preach. Sometimes I've been more or less wise in that area. And as I've preached longer, I've kind of honed it down a little bit. My style matters, but is that what is most important? Paul, in instructing Timothy and preaching, starts by establishing the goal and the focus of preaching, and then he's going to describe preaching that fits that goal. Verse number one, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. So, when Paul makes his charge to Timothy, he starts it with some conversation about God and Christ. Charge you and the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Why does Paul remind Timothy that God is present? Why is that important? Well, Paul's encouragement here tells Timothy someone is watching you. Someone that matters. God is there. He is watching. Preach as if God is watching you. If we are preaching the word, we are preaching the very words of God. And we ought to remember that the person who said it in the first place is watching us. And when the preacher gets up and says something that God has not said, God's there and he hears it. It's an important reminder. God should be able to sit in the church and listen to the sermon. And when the pastor is done, say, yep, that's what I meant when I wrote that. That's a weighty responsibility for the pastor. God is present. His presence changes how we do things. We certainly feel this in our own lives and how we deal with the sermon when we forget the presence of God. J.C. Ryle, English pastor from the 19th century, one of my favorite writers, said this about God's presence. How many things are done continually which men would never do if they thought they were seen? How many matters are transacted in the rooms of imagination which would never bear the light of day? Yes, Men entertain thoughts in private and say words in private and do acts in private, which they would be ashamed and blush to have exposed before the world. The sound of a footstep coming has stopped many a deed of wickedness. A knock at the door has caused many an evil work to be hastily suspended and hurriedly laid aside. But oh, what miserable folly is all this. There is an all-seeing witness with us wherever we go. Lock the door, pull down the blind, turn out the light. It doesn't matter. It makes no difference God is everywhere. You cannot shut him out or prevent his seeing. That's powerful in dealing with our own sin. It's powerful in dealing with how we handle the word of God. God is hearing the proclamation of his word. That ought to terrify those who proclaim and encourage them to proclaim it well and faithfully. So he wants Timothy to be aware of God's presence. He also wants Timothy to be aware of Christ's judgment appearing in kingdom and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. As a preacher, the preacher is preaching to those who will be judged as one who will be judged. When I get up here and open God's word, I ought to open it with an awareness that I bear a greater responsibility because I am a teacher. But also, when I preach, I ought to preach to those who are dying. The preacher who understands what he is doing recognizes that this is a matter of life and death. God's people need God's word. 
And when the preacher does not preach the word of God, the people starve. The role that I have here this morning is a part of feeding God's people with God's word. What a major responsibility because one day you will be judged. And when you are judged, part of what God has given to you is his word. And I have a responsibility to faithfully proclaim that as one who is going to be judged myself, preaching to those who will be judged. There will be a reckoning. This matters. The work of preaching is important. The work of listening to preaching is important. It matters. There's going to be a reckoning. Reminds me of my kids. We try and get them to clean. Saturday morning is chore day. And for between 15 minutes, which it should take, and four hours, which it does take, it is one of the hardest points of the week. So we do an allowance. We remind them there's a reckoning coming. You will get $3 if you do everything, and you do everything well, and you do everything without fighting. And if you do not everything, and you fight while you're doing it, you will get less than $3. And yesterday was one of the not great days of cleaning up. And so many times, Anna and I walk into the playroom. Remember, your allowance depends on how you do this work. There's a reckoning coming. They don't remember that. They only think, I want to play now instead of clean now, or I want to throw something at my brother now instead of clean now. They only think about the exact second that they're living in. But as parents, we want to encourage them, let's think down the road. Let's think an hour into the future. Daddy's got a spreadsheet on his computer that keeps record of how much money you have. All right? And there's a little graph that says how much money they have in comparison to the thing that they want to buy with the money that they're saving. And they know that. They know it's there. And we remind them because they need to know there's a reckoning coming. This matters what they're doing. And the preacher and the listener to the preaching of the word of God, there's a reckoning coming. Therefore, we must give attendance to the preaching of God's word. On the flip side of that, there is also hope. We need to hear the word of God proclaimed because that is going to fuel us as we suffer. Remember back to last week when we talked about the inspiration of Scripture, what was the context in which that arose out of suffering? Paul says to Timothy, you will suffer, and because you will suffer, look at the word of God. Look at the Scriptures which are given by inspiration of God. They are profitable for you. So if we are going to suffer, we find hope in God's word. God's word reveals to us that Christ came, that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended. And when we look at Christ's resurrection and ascension, we have courage today because we say, that's what's coming for me. Charles Simeon, another 19th century English pastor, we'll talk more about him in a few minutes. But he said this, my dear brother, We must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I am getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pricking of my legs. Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head has surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. Let us follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his victory. So good preaching is necessary because we need to be reminded that our head is through the hedge and it's just our legs that are getting pricked the rest of the way through. We need to be reminded that Christ, our high priest, has been raised and we will one day join him. He is merely the first fruits. We will join him and that hope is there. And because of that, we need this word. We need to hear the gospel over and over and over and over again. 
And the role of preaching is to stir in us that gospel. It is a matter of motivation. A good preacher is one who preaches to the glory of God. A good preacher is one who preaches thinking about his audience, but thinking most of all about the God that he is pointing that audience to. Good, godly preaching is preaching to the glory of God. If the preacher is motivated by a claim, he will either preach totally without grace because he wants people to be angry, or he will preach without authority because he doesn't want to tell anyone to do anything different. He just wants people to lift him up. If the preacher is motivated by money, he's going to refuse to preach sermons that are going to make his job at risk. He's not going to confront the sins of the biggest givers in the church. But a preacher motivated by the glory of God ignores that. The preacher who preaches out of self-righteousness will only preach sermons that confront the sins that he doesn't commit. But the preacher preaching to the glory of God opens up God's word, and if God said it, he says it. Because it matters, it's working towards something. So what does good preaching look like? Seven characteristics of a God-glorifying preacher that Paul gives us in this text. Number one, he preaches the word. Verse two, preach the word. This builds on the topic of last week. The scriptures are God-breathed, they are authoritative, and they are profitable. Therefore, when the preacher opens up God's word, he speaks the words of God. He speaks with authority. You know, the preacher might be the smartest guy in the world, and it's not going to measure up to what God has said. The preacher is not there to put on display his own intellect, his own practical advice for living. There are many parts of being a pastor that age really helps with. I hope I'm a better pastor at 32 than I was at 27. That age helps. But the truth of the matter is, it does not require experience to preach with authority. A 22-year-old should be able to preach with authority on raising children. Not because they have done it, but because they open up God's word and say what the Bible says. Now, there's going to be matters of wisdom. There's going to be matters of practical things that I think a 22-year-old would be unwise to say anything more than what the Bible says. But if the preacher is saying what the Bible says, it does not matter how experienced he is. It does not matter how intelligent he is. Because the authority of the word is the authority of the God-glorifying preacher. Because he simply says what the Bible says. What else is worth preaching than the word of God? What else is worth gathering a room of 80 people together and talking about other than the authority of the word of God? What is the point if it's not true? And God's word is true, it is authoritative. Sometimes this is referred to as staying on the line. If we open up a passage of scripture, think of it as a line. And if we're going to share that, we don't want to go above the line. We don't want to say more than it says. We don't want to go under the line. We don't want to say less than it says. A godly preacher, someone who stays right on that line. He's going to look at the word. He's going to say, what did God intend? What was said here? And then in his sermon, he's going to do everything in his power to help the people understand what God said when he originally said it. Staying on the line. An application, I think this leads us to sequential expository preaching. I don't think it's a necessity, but I think it's a practical outgrowth of this. That's why we take a book 
and we walk through that book week by week by week by week. Because when you go through a book like that, you don't get to duck. When divorce comes up, divorce comes up. When you need to preach about materialism, you preach about materialism. When you're a jerk to your wife on Saturday, and the next text talks about loving your wife, you still have to preach the next text. You don't get to duck. You don't get to run away from God. I think that as the regular diet of the church is healthy, certainly doesn't mean that you can't cover a topic ever. But as a general rule, a church needs to hear all of God's word, not just the parts that are easy to preach, not just the parts that are fun to listen to. One of the hardest things for me to adjust to when I became a week-by-week preacher is not every sermon can be exciting. Because if the text isn't exciting, and they're not all exciting, then the sermon shouldn't be more exciting than the text. I like hitting home runs. I don't like hitting singles. And so sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to say, all right, I could kind of twist this a little bit, and like this might be an application someone would make, and it'll be, there's much better illustrations. It's much more exciting to preach that sermon. No. God's word is the authority of the preacher. Working through books is not essential to expository preaching, but it is helpful. I would say that every sermon that ever is preached from a pulpit of any church ought to be expository, even if it's not sequential. I'm using jargon, I'm sorry. Every sermon that is preached ought to say what the Bible says, but it does not necessarily need to be in a series working through a book. So if we're going to do one sermon on love, We might not do it in order, but we ought to do it from the Bible. Not anyone's thoughts on love, but say, what does the Bible say? There's a cost to this. It's not always going to be encouraging. Sometimes you're going to come to church and you're going to get smacked in the nose. You're not going to get warm, fuzzy feelings. I think that's one of the benefits, even though we might not like it. It doesn't always cover the topics we're interested in. It does cover things that are hard. But when we preach faithfully the word of God, when every time the preacher stands up, the preacher says what God has said, that is a diet that feeds the church, that gives daily bread. All scripture is profitable. Therefore, we ought to use all scripture in our preaching. So the God-glorifying pastor preaches the word. The God-glorifying pastor, number two, preaches consistently. Be ready in season and out of season. In season and out of season. There are times when you feel more able to do different things. We got the kids ice skates last week. We haven't used them because it's ridiculously cold outside. We're flexible by seasons. There are some things you do in July that you don't do in January. The pastor, the preacher, needs to be consistent in season, out of season. He needs to preach what God says when it's easy and when it's hard. No, it's very easy to preach Psalm 23. Everyone's like, oh man, God's my shepherd. It's not as easy to talk about what the shepherd actually uses the staff for. Right? And both situations, a God-glorifying preacher preaches consistently. There will be seasons where faithfulness is popular and unpopular. Seasons where trials are more and less severe. There are going to be seasons where there's joy. There's going to be seasons when there's sadness. The faithful preacher is going to have the same message in every single one of those seasons. The packaging might change a little bit, 
but the message is the same as the message of the gospel, that Jesus came to earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he ascended, and we should follow him. That message doesn't change. That message is true when a loved one dies. It's true when a child is born. That message is true when we're broke. It is true when we're wealthy. And so the preacher, the faithful preacher, is consistent in his preaching. Number three, the faithful preacher is personal in his preaching. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The preacher isn't merely giving an academic lecture. The preacher is someone who goes to someone and reproves them, corrects them, rebukes them, little rougher correction, exhorts them, encourages them, says, here's what God said, now do something about it. Preaching is not an academic exercise. Preaching is a relationship. Preaching is something that God uses to accomplish the work of sanctification. And sanctification is change. Sanctification requires repentance and faith. It requires faithfulness and walking. And a godly preacher is one who will stand up and he will reprove, he will rebuke, he will exhort. He will confront when he needs to confront. But he will do so with patience, knowing he's a sinner and the people he's confronting are sinners. He'll do it with teaching. He doesn't just say, do this. He says, God said, do this. Let me explain that to you. A God-honoring preacher preaches personally. That doesn't mean he never preaches an unpopular message. Patience and teaching doesn't mean he only says what people like, but I think he doesn't only say what people don't like, too. Some guys pride themselves on kind of being obnoxious. I don't think that's faithful preaching either. There's this opening up God's word and saying what God has said is sometimes going to be great encouragement and sometimes it's going to be harsh. But there's a faithfulness, and the God-honoring preacher preaches with that faithfulness. The pastor is a teacher, he is a preacher, but he's also a shepherd. Someone who's trying to take a bunch of sheep, and he's a sheep himself, going to try and take a bunch of sheep that don't want to go over here, and he's going to try and use the tools that God has given him to get them over there. That task is not easy, but it requires love and care, but also confrontation. So a godly preacher preaches personally, recognizing that he is responsible for those in his care. But like I said, that doesn't mean he always is going to be popular. Verse number three. Number four, the preacher preaches unpopular truths. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Every time I read that text, my ears actually kind of itch. It's kind of a subconscious thing. Preaching the word is not always going to be popular just by the very definition of preaching the word because the word tells people what is true about God and if people agreed with God, they would be God. But as humanity, we disagree with God. We are in rebellion against God. So we're going to be in disagreement with his word. The faithful preacher, though, is going to preach even though it's unpopular. The trouble with truth is that it's inflexible. If I don't like truth, doesn't mean that it's not true. I don't like that at 32 years old, my prospects as a professional athlete have completely expired. Not that they were ever there in the first place. Yet, the fact that that is true 
Just that I don't like that it's true doesn't change anything. I would really like to be in the Olympics someday, and I'm even giving up on curling at this point. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And no matter how much I want to pretend it's going to happen, it's not going to happen. This is a truth. It's just there. And sometimes we need to recognize truth. But we don't like truth all the time. And we fight against it. The pastor preaches truth either way. There are going to be people who will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. They're going to follow whatever they have devised. They want to be wealthy. All right, let's find a gospel that tells me I'm going to be wealthy. And our world is filled with churches who will be more than happy to scratch their ears. Just say, hey, believe God and you too can be rich. They want to be told that they're going to be comfortable. They want to be told that they're free to do whatever they want. And if you were to go around our world and sit in churches and just start picking at random, you would find churches that tell people whatever they want to hear. But the God-honoring preacher is the one who tells people what is true. The one who tells people what God has said, whether or not they want to hear it. So on me, I need to be that kind of preacher, the one who speaks truth no matter what. Certainly speaks truth with patience, with love, with careful teaching, shepherding, living by example, but speaks the truth boldly. And you, as listeners, ought to look to be confronted. When you come to church, you should expect God's Word to disagree with you sometimes. If you've never sat in church and read God's Word and thought, you know, I don't think that I agree with that. Well, that's not a great sign that you're hearing God's Word accurately. You don't agree with God. It's part of your core identity as a person. And so we come to church and we expect to be confronted. We expect to walk out different than we walked in. This is not a gathering of people with the same hobby who can just enjoy that we have the same hobby. The church meeting on a Sunday morning when God's word is open is a time for God to correct us through the power of his word. And the preacher must be willing to play his part in that role. The fifth characteristic, a preacher preaches seriously. As for you, always be sober-minded. Be serious. It's translated lots of different ways. Serious, preach with your head, be balanced, watch out, be self-control. The idea is it's one who knows what he's supposed to do, and he does it. He takes seriously that responsibility. What is that going to look like? A God-honoring preacher is one who works hard to preach well. A God-honoring preacher is one who opens up God's word, sees it's a hard text, fears for people's response, and still does the work, still pushes through, prioritizes the preparation of the sermon and his schedule, continually working to grow in knowledge about God's word and knowledge about preaching, remembering its importance in the ministry of the church. Look for preachers who are serious about preaching. Preaching as the task that it is, proclaiming the word of God. Serious about the word of God. Serious about proclaiming it well. We are looking for elders. We are looking for pastors. We are looking for churches to focus on the hard work of preaching because God's word is profitable.
It will not return void. And so if there is a church where the pastor is faithfully proclaiming God's word Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, it will bear fruit because it is the word that is being proclaimed. That is what makes a preacher a God-honoring preacher. Does he take seriously the word of God? Number six, he preaches steadfastly. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Keep pushing on in spite of obstacles. This section, the need to keep enduring, was foreshadowed by the presence of ungodly people, both in chapter 3, those who have the appearance of godliness but deny the true power of, and in chapter 4, where we have those who have itching ears accumulating to themselves teachers. Those people are going to make the life of the preacher difficult at times. A godly preacher will endure suffering. Mentioned a few minutes ago, Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon was an English preacher. He became the pastor of Trinity Church in Cambridge in 1782. He was fairly young when he became the pastor there. He was the son of a wealthy lawyer, and this lawyer exerted some influence to get him that position. I don't know all the details. It was a long time ago. Not everything is recorded. But basically what happened was the church wanted a different pastor, but in the way the Episcopal Church, the Anglican Church in England operates, the bishop would select the pastor of that church. So he selects Charles Simeon. The church was not happy about this. They wanted a different pastor. So Charles Simeon, he was responsible for the Sunday morning service. The church couldn't do anything about it. He was appointed by the bishop. If he was going to be removed, it was going to be his choice or the bishop's choice. But the Sunday afternoon service, which was an additional service, that the church congregation had control over. So, for the first 12 years of his ministry, the congregation would not allow him to preach the afternoon service. They selected the man they wanted to become pastor and had him preach the afternoon service. That lasted for five years. Eventually that man went away and they appointed another person to preach it just to make the point that Charles Simeon would not be their preacher. He might be the bishop's pastor, but he is not their pastor. Now, keep in mind here, this is in England. There's a state church. This is kind of, there's not a lot of church shopping going on. This is before mass transit, before cars. So they're kind of stuck with this church. Couldn't just switch. So he just faithfully preached. He was a good preacher. He preached the word. His focus was on expository preaching a kind of a pioneer in the modern era of doing that. And he preached faithfully year after year, 12 years. In that time, he wanted to preach the afternoon service. He couldn't, so he started an evening service. And it was, there were many people from the community that wanted to be a part of it, but not kind of the authority, not the power players in the church. So he starts doing it. The power players hear about it, and just the way it was set up, those powerful people in the church, they were the ones who actually had the power to lock and unlock the doors of the church. And so they would lock the doors of the church for the evening service so that Charles Simeon couldn't have an evening service. The pews in the churches had doors on them, and you had your family's pew. You paid a pew fee. These powerful people would lock the doors on their pews and not come to church. Their goal was, well, if someone's going to come to church, they're not going to sit. 
And so you'd come to Charles Simeon's church, and the church is growing. The church is prospering. There are people who are coming and hearing the gospel. There are people being converted, and they would stand for the whole service around the empty pews that were locked so that these powerful people in the church who didn't want him to preach the word could not. This went on for 12 years before he finally was allowed to preach the afternoon service. Over the course of the rest of his life, this would pop up over and over again. He'd have these seasons of despair as the church would not allow him to preach. When he was 47 years old, he had been the pastor for almost 30 years, 25 years, and he became sick. So sick that he lost his voice. You'll note that's an important part of the preacher's toolbox. Charles Simeon could not preach for 13 years. He still preached, but he had to whisper his sermons. Church still grew. People still listened because he was proclaiming the word of God. After 13 years, his body just kind of almost miraculously just suddenly recovered at the age of 60. He went on to preach in the same church for another 17 years. All told, this is a man who preached in the same pulpit for 57 years because he had something to say. It's the word of God that he was proclaiming. And there were people who did not want to listen to him, but he continued to preach. Now, I don't know all the details. I'm not sure that I'd recommend someone else to do the same thing that Charles Simeon did. But what you see in Charles Simeon is someone who said, God's word must be proclaimed. And it will be proclaimed no matter how painful it is to proclaim it. The faithful preacher is one who preaches in spite of adversity. Which leads us to our last characteristic. Why does the faithful preacher do all these things? Because number seven, the faithful preacher preaches the gospel. The preacher faithfully endures, patiently rebukes, and steadfastly proclaims the word because the word reveals to us the good news, reveals to us the greatest story ever told, that Jesus became a man, that he lived a perfect life, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he ascended, and through faith offers to us all the riches of his benefits. That message, the gospel, is what the preacher proclaims. Do the work of an evangelist, a gospel proclaimer. Fulfill your ministry. The message which Christ's church is called to proclaim is wonderful beyond description, and the godly preacher delights in declaring the gospel. He delights in telling people that they are alienated from God, but he has made a path for them to be reconciled to him. The faithful preacher is one who lifts up the gospel. The gospel, like the announcement of a child's birth, is not something you keep secret. When a child is born, you tell everyone. I remember when I found out that we were expecting our first child. We talked together and decided not to tell anyone for a little while, and I failed within about 30 minutes. I was so excited. I told my boss. I told strangers who were coming into the bookstore I was working at. Like the third person who heard from me is someone who I've talked to like two times since and never before then. I still know the person. We're acquaintances. But I was so excited. A child is coming. I'm excited. It's news that you don't keep a secret for very long. The gospel is great news. And the faithful preacher, the godly preacher, wants to declare freedom to captives. He declares the gospel faithfully. 
above all the qualifications of a preacher is that he preaches the gospel. And the gospel saturates all the other six characteristics that I just gave you. If he preaches the gospel, he's going to preach for the glory of God. If he preaches the gospel, he's going to be concerned about the glory of God because he recognizes the significance of who he is, who God is, and what God has done to reconcile those two positions. And so the faithful preacher will preach the gospel to the glory of God. The faithful preacher will delight in preaching the word because in the word we have the gospel revealed. The faithful preacher of the gospel will be consistent. He will be able to endure suffering because he knows that he is awaiting a coming kingdom. He knows that when Jesus Christ comes to judge the living and the dead, that he will judge in righteousness. But when he judges, it will be he that bears the wrath of God on my sin and not me. The faithful preacher preaches the gospel consistently. The faithful preacher preaches the gospel and he will love those around him. He will confront them because he knows that they are of infinite value because they were bought with an infinite price. The faithful preacher will confront with the gospel because he sees people who Jesus died to purchase. And so the gospel will cause him to be personal. The gospel will cause him to endure through unpopularity because he knows that he preaches the words of life and they are greater than any obstacle which he faces. They are the power of God unto salvation. The preacher of the gospel will be motivated to do the hard work of preaching well because he recognizes how worthy of glory God is, how much he deserves our best efforts, and how serious it is that he has revealed himself to us. And the preacher who is focused on the gospel will be focused on preaching the word of God well. He will do the work that it takes to know what God has said and to proclaim it. If he preaches the gospel, he will endure. Jesus left. Jesus ascended into heaven. Yet, we're here. He has sent us the Holy Spirit, but he's also established the church. He's given the church various gifts, and among those gifts is that of the preacher, the pastor, the one who proclaims God's word, because we need it. If you are going to endure in this world, if you are going to endure cancer, if you are going to endure financial loss, if you are going to endure persecution, if you are going to endure doubt, you need to be fed the word of God. And in God and his graciousness has gifted the church with those who preach the word of God. So I urge you, if in God's providence a time comes when you are looking for an elder in this church, if you're looking for a preaching pastor, if you are looking for a church because you've moved, whatever the situation may be, when you are thinking, what kind of pastor? When you are even looking at me and thinking, what is Jeremy doing? Am I holding him accountable to fulfilling the calling of God on his life? Ask this question. Is he preaching the word of God? Everything flows from that. Look for people who preach the word of God. In your free time, I'm sure some of you enjoy listening to sermons throughout the week. Fill your mind with sermons of people who preach the word of God. You will probably not find them on TV. <laughs> Fill your life with people who proclaim with authority 
the word of God. That is the only thing that's going to tell us what we really need to know. The word of God is quick. It's alive. It's powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. That's worth feeding on. That's worth living for. That's worth hearing. God has given us many ways in which the word is proclaimed. Reading it, preaching, but also another way the word of God is proclaimed is in the observance of communion. And this morning, we're going to observe communion, and it really piggybacks right on this. As a church, we need to hear the word of God. And Jesus gave it to us in himself. He also gave us this ordinance, Lord's Supper. And in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of the very words that Jesus said. Every time we partake, I recite the words that Jesus said, the word of God. This is my body, which was broken for you. This do as often as you eat it in remembrance of me. And those are the words of God reminding us of the gospel. 